Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we continue our look at the Nativity with James Collins and Dr. Kenneth Hill. SWRC.com is the premier place for Christmas gifts with an eternal impact. Brand new books and DVDs from Greg Patton and Larry Stamm, resources back in print from Dr. Carl Baugh, Rob Linstead, and Dave Brees, and exclusive content from Jonathan Kahn you can only get from Watchmen on the Wall. We also have our brand new 2022 prophecy calendar and new t-shirts, short sleeve and long sleeve, printed with a message that is great for witnessing. Over 900 resources with free shipping on all orders over $100. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Ministry President Dr. Kenneth Hill is back, ready to continue his conversation with James Collins. James's book, The Nativity, is an outstanding resource that reminds us how the story of Christmas can change your life. After years, sometimes even decades, of hearing the Christmas story so many times, we tend to lose the meaning. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ is told in Luke chapter 2 is the best-known story in the Bible. Ask anyone and they can tell you about Caesar's tax. Everyone knows about Mary and Joseph's trip to Bethlehem. Most people can tell you that Jesus was born in a stable. We've heard the story thousands and thousands of times over and over in Christmas pageants, plays, on greeting cards, TV programs, movies, and in music. Sadly to many people, the story of God becoming a man of God taking on human flesh has become so common that the greatest miracle in history has lost its impact. To help you take a fresh look at the Christmas story and to help you see beyond the familiar and find the true meaning of Christmas, Beacon Street Press has put together a book bundle featuring a book that I wrote called The Nativity and a classic Christmas which was compiled and edited by Dr. Kenneth Hill. Joining me once again to talk about the Nativity is Dr. Hill. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Hill. Thanks for being with me today. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Collin. I enjoyed our conversation last time. We had a good time, I think. Yes, sir. And I look forward to hearing more about this book, The Nativity. The book is a biography of each person in the Nativity, so tell us what you mean by that when you tell us it's a biography of each one involved. My goal in writing the Nativity was to tell the story of each person associated with the birth of Jesus. A few Christmases after my wife and I were married, she came home with our first Nativity set. Figures are little objects which depict the manger scene of Christ's birth. And over the years, my wife and I have collected a few Nativity sets. We find them at flea markets, thrift stores, garage sales, places like that. And most of these nativity sets have several pieces, shepherds, angels, Mary, Joseph, and of course, a baby Jesus. A couple of years back, I was looking at one of those nativity sets when the Christmas song, Mary Did You Know, came on the radio. Now, the lyrics of that song ask a series of questions to Mary about baby Jesus. I looked at the Mary figure in the nativity set on our mantle there, and I wondered how she would answer those questions. And I kind of felt inspired. I grabbed my Bible, a pen, and a paper, and that's how this book 
came to be. The book contains a chapter on Joseph, Mary, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, and of course, the baby Jesus. I kind of feel like it's sort of a living nativity scene put together from the Word of God. Each chapter, Dr. Hill is designed to spotlight a different figure from the nativity. When we left off last time, we were talking about the shepherds, and the question came up and was not answered, so let's answer it today. What is the significance of Migdal Peter? Well, to answer that question, I first have to go back to what the angel told the shepherds in Luke 2.12. There the Bible says, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger sounds really strange and foreign to us today. However, that would not have sounded strange to those shepherds. Back in Genesis 35:21, we read, And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. Now, this passage, Dr. Hill, has to do with the burial of Jacob's wife, Rachel. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem, and after his wife's burial, Jacob camped near Bethlehem in a place beyond what the Hebrew calls Migdal Eder, the Tower of Eder. And the Tower of Eder was originally built as a military outpost just outside of Bethlehem. Later, King Solomon moved the military garrison from there, and he changed the name of the Tower of Eder to the Tower of the Flock because the shepherds used it. Now, this was a three-story structure. The shepherds would watch over the flock from the top story. The second story was a storage area, and the bottom story was a birthing chamber. Each time a ewe was ready to give birth, the shepherds would take her out of the valley and up the hill to the Tower of the Flock, and when the ewe delivered, the baby lamb would be cleaned up and wrapped with swaddling clothes to protect it, to keep it from getting a blemish, to keep it from getting cut. And after the newborn lamb was swaddled, it would be carried into the inner chamber of the Tower of the Flock, and there that baby lamb would be laid inside of a stone manger. The little lamb would stay in that manger until he could be inspected for spot or blemish by the chief shepherd. And if the lamb was acceptable, he'd be taken back to his mother, back to the flock. And as the lamb grew, if it developed no spot or blemish, it'd be used as a sacrifice in the temple. So those shepherds knew exactly, Dr. Hill, what to look for when they heard the angel say they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. The Lord Jesus Christ was born in the very shadow of the tower of the flock. And 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Micah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now that amazing prophecy right there predicts the exact birthplace of the Messiah. But if you read a little further, Micah digs down deeper when he writes, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So it's amazing. 700 years before he was born, Micah said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and he specifically mentioned the tower of the flock. God is amazing. Incredible. Wow. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, you know, when the angels came and told the shepherds, and the shepherds were there ready to go to that very spot, understanding 
what was going on, perhaps better than most, they then became the first evangelists, correct? That's right. The Bible says in Luke 2.17, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. The shepherds shared this incredible message. They shared the good news that Jesus Christ was born. Now, I think that's a great lesson for us today. You know, these shepherds didn't worry about how people were going to receive this message. They didn't worry if people believed it. They didn't worry if people accepted it. They didn't worry if people didn't like them for telling them the message. Their job was just to go out and share the good news, and that's what God has called us to do. It's not that complicated. All you need to do is tell people about your experience with Jesus Christ and leave the results in the hands of Almighty God. Amen. Well, you serve as staff evangelist for Southwest Radio Church Ministries and the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. Are you enjoying the opportunity to use your gift of evangelism with those that you come into contact? It's amazing. Almost every day I meet someone and try to share the gospel with them. You know, I've been preaching in a lot of churches in the area around and about on Sundays, filling in for pastors. That's great. I love to do that. But I also love, Dr. Hill, the one-on-one, sharing tracts with people, praying before a meal at a restaurant and witnessing to the waitress, and then blessed to see God do some amazing things through that ministry. So yes, sir. Yes, sir, I have. Amen. Well, let's talk about the virgin birth. Yes, sir. I want to ask you about that. There's some scholars today that scoff at the virgin birth. Let me sort of hear what you would say to those who would say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not virgin born. What would you say to that? Well, I say there's a Greek word for that kind of teaching, baloney. That's what I would say, first of all. (laughs) What a Greek word. The, uh, the, the virgin birth, Dr. Hill, is essential to the Christian faith, I think, for three reasons. First, it relates to the integrity of the Bible as God's Word. The Bible says point blank that Jesus was born of a virgin. If that's not true, then what can we believe in the Bible? Second, the virgin birth relates to the integrity of Jesus as Messiah. For Jesus to be our Savior, three conditions had to be met. He had to be a human. No angel could die for our sins. He had to be divine. A mere mortal could not bear the price that had to be paid for our sins. He had to be sinless. A sinner could not die for the sins of others. The virgin birth guaranteed the fulfillment of all three of those conditions. Because he was born of Mary, he was human. Because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was divine. And because he was born holy without a sin nature, Jesus was qualified to serve as our Savior. Thirdly, the concept of the virgin birth was not some mere afterthought. It was prophesied thousands of years before Jesus was born. The very first messianic prophecy in the Bible is found in Genesis 3.15. That's a very, very important verse where God said that the Messiah would be born of the seed of the woman. God said to Satan, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And the seed of the woman is a prophecy about a future descendant of Eve who will defeat the serpent and reverse the curse brought on by his deception. And most of the time when we hear the word seed, that speaks of the seed of men. But in this case, it's the seed of the woman. And this prophecy clearly points to the future virgin birth of Jesus Christ, a birth in which the seed of man is not involved.
Well, don't we also see the prophecy of the virgin birth in Isaiah? Yes, sir. In Isaiah 7:14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I love that, because over 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And further, he said he would be God in flesh. He would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. The amazing thing is that's in the Jewish Old Testament, yet most Jews today refuse to see Jesus in the Old Testament. I was close friends with a Jewish rabbi when I was in the army. I was a chaplain, as you know, and I was close friends with him. And I remember pointing this verse out to him one day and some other things in Isaiah, and he thought, you know, I must have got that out of the New Testament. That couldn't be in the Old Testament. He had never read that. It amazed me. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ defines history. It's amazing that so many people are blind to it. Well, the truth of the virgin birth of Christ cannot be given up or thrown away. We must adhere to it. We must embrace it. But some teach that Mary remained a perpetual virgin. What do you think about that? Well, in my chapter on Mary, I talk about that. I think those that teach that really don't understand their Bible. They don't know their Bible. The Bible says, point blank, that Mary and Joseph did have other children. Mary was not perpetually a virgin. The Bible says Joseph did not know her until after the birth of Jesus. It was then they had a normal husband and wife relationship and they had other children. The Bible also calls Jesus Mary's firstborn son and that implies that she had other children. And we know from reading the Word of God that Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. At the beginning of his ministry, his brothers and sisters didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They were indifferent to him. However, after the crucifixion, we can read in Acts chapter 1 that they became active Christians and leaders of the early church. James became the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem, and he wrote the New Testament letter that bears his name. And another half-brother of Jesus, Jude, wrote the little epistle of Jude that we read in the New Testament. Well, you write in your book, The Nativity, that Mary was not a perpetual virgin, but she was still in a special situation. She was still, I guess we could say, a special woman. Yes, sir. So tell me about that. How is that matter? What is the point of that? Well, Mary was chosen by God to nurture Christ in her womb. That in itself is amazing. And then think, Dr. Hill, about what must have been going through Mary's mind when the angel told her she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Now, in this time period, to be a Jewish woman and to be pregnant before marriage meant that she would be an outcast. She would be humiliated. She risked losing Joseph. She was getting ready to spend the rest of her life with the man that she loves, and now she's going to have to tell him that she's pregnant. He'll know he's not the father. He'll want to call off the wedding. Mary also knew that her child would be labeled illegitimate, and apparently I think that label followed the Lord for the rest of his life. There's an interesting detail that we read uh, just kind of as a side note here in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. The Bible tells us when Jesus went back to his own country on the Sabbath day, he taught in the synagogue, and the people were amazed at his teaching 
And they said, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him, the Bible says. Now, notice that they called Jesus the son of Mary. The normal Jewish practice would be to identify a son by his father's name. They should have said, is this not Joseph's son? Because they would have assumed that Jesus was the son of Joseph. But they didn't do that here because they remembered the rumors of Jesus's illegitimate birth. I think that Mary knew this and she knew all of this was going to happen. And also we read that she knew that Jesus was born to die. She knew that Jesus was going to be the sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world. Can you imagine? She knew that the baby's hands that were so tiny that those little baby hands that she held on the night that he was born would someday be pierced by two nails. Imagine all that she was thinking and feeling, and she said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want to do. Wherever you lead, God, I'll go. And she knew that God would work out all the details. She was just willing to put her life in the hands of God. We're talking with Dr. James Collins, the author of The Nativity and staff evangelist for the Southwest Radio Church Ministries and the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. And we've been talking about this book and fleshing out what it talks about within its pages, but we've left out one major portion, and they're called the wise men or the magi. Who were they? And were there three of them? Well, that's a great question, Dr. Hill. We don't know how many wise men there were. The Bible doesn't tell us. At Christmas, we sing the song, We Three Kings, because they brought three gifts. But we really don't know how many there were. The word wise, like you said, the magi, means magi. Many believe they were kings, but the Bible never calls them kings. They're magi, not kings. The only kings that we see in the Christmas story are Caesar, Herod, and the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Magi was a title given to people of the eastern countries who held positions of authority. It comes from the root word magician, and these men studied astrology, astronomy. Probably the most famous of the Magi was Belteshazzar, but most people know him better as the prophet Daniel. That Belteshazzar was the Babylonian name that he gave. But during the Old Testament times, We know that the Jews had contact with both the Babylonians and the Persians, and so there were a large colony of Jewish people that remained in Babylon even after the Jewish exile ended. And so therefore, we can learn that those Jews that were there often spoke of the coming Messiah, and so we think that that's what happened. The wise men were interested in that promise of this coming king, and when they saw the star, they followed it. Brother James, before we go, tell us again about the special First Advent bundle. Well, Dr. Hill, in this great bundle, you get two great books right now for a gift of $25 or more. You can get The Nativity, and you can get your book, A Classic Christmas. A Classic Christmas is a collection of First Advent devotional stories and recipes. Great ideas in that book for the entire family, compiled and edited by you, Dr. Hill. Next time, again, we're going to reverse roles, and I'll ask you questions about a classic Christmas. I'm looking forward to that. I am, too. God bless you, and thank you for allowing me to be with you today.
get your CD copy of this two-day conversation on the Nativity with James Collins by calling 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online swrc.com. Today in the Resource Center, we have our first Advent Bundle, two books that highlight what Christmas is really about, The Nativity by James Collins and A Classic Christmas by Kenneth Hill. Get both books for a gift of $25 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. The Bible says in First Chronicles 16.34, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Years ago, my wife talked me into going shopping with her. Now, shopping with my wife is dangerous and stressful enough. But we went shopping on the Friday after Thanksgiving. We went shopping on Black Friday. I wonder who came up with calling the Friday after Thanksgiving Black Friday. I mean, it sounds bad. The name Black Friday just sounds awful. It brings to mind being blackmailed, the Black Plague, and the Black Death. It sounds terrible. Black Friday has always puzzled me. Why is it that on Black Friday, Americans are willing to kill over materialistic items just one day after celebrating what they are already thankful for? I've heard the term Black Friday refers to the pattern of pedestrian and vehicle traffic that hits large cities. However, that is not true. Retailers actually coined the term Black Friday to describe the day of the year when their shops go from being in the red to going into profit or into the black. Black Friday has become the largest day of shopping both on the internet and in retail stores. Last year on Black Friday, Americans spent an average of $938 per shopper, and Americans spent a total of $655 billion overall. Before our children were born, my wife talked me into going shopping with her on Black Friday. So I went shopping on the Friday after Thanksgiving for the first and the last time in my life. At first, I thought it would be fun. I thought it might become sort of a family tradition. I thought we might do a little shopping. Then we would go to a restaurant and have breakfast. I thought it'd be a nice way to spend time with my wife, <laughs> but I was wrong. The day started out okay. We got up early before dawn. We had coffee. Then we went to Walmart at 5 in the morning. I have never seen anything like what I saw that morning. 300 people lined up waiting for the Walmart to open. I can't get 300 people to get up that early and come see a new believer get baptized. Man, I can't even get 30 people to get up that early and come see a new believer get baptized. To tell the truth, I can't even get three people to get up that early to come see a new believer get baptized. Well, when they opened the Walmart doors, I was almost trampled by a wild pack of shoppers. Inside the store, things weren't any better. I made the mistake of standing in front of a doorbuster sign. People pushed me and shoved me out of the way to get to a video game that was on sale. Then they wheeled out a blue flashing light. They were having a blue light special. 
Grown men and women ran from all over the store to the blue light to get a Tickle Me Elmo toy. Two women almost got into a fist fight. They were both going after the last coat on a 50% off rack. All over the store, people were running and pushing and shoving and fighting and cussing, and I'm telling you, those people were just crazy. Now, that Black Friday was years ago. Sadly, things in this country have only gotten worse. Now, in addition to Black Friday, we have Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday is a marketing term for e-commerce transactions on the Monday after Thanksgiving in the United States. It was created by retailers to encourage people to shop online. Last year, people spent over $10 billion shopping online on Cyber Monday. It seems to me like we've lost our way. Black Friday and Cyber Monday make me think that America has become a nation which has slipped away from worshiping God to a nation that worships material things. One day after giving thanks to God for all their blessings, Americans fight over TVs and toasters. On the day that kicks off the Christmas season, Americans act anything but Christ-like. We are a country of people who are ungrateful to the Lord, even though every beat of our heart is by God's grace. You do realize that you're only alive right now by the grace of God Almighty. What would happen if God said enough and your life was over and then comes the judgment? Would God find you to be a grateful person? President Abraham Lincoln reminded us of our need for thankfulness to God when he called for a day of fasting and prayer during the conflict that tore this country apart. On March 30, 1863, Lincoln wrote, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. That was said by the 16th president over 150 years ago. Think about what he said. He basically said that our own prosperity as a nation has caused us to forget the Lord. Now, he said that over 150 years ago. How much more are Lincoln's words true today? We just went through the Thanksgiving holiday, and now we're in the Christmas shopping season. Wouldn't it be great if we focused less on material things and paused to give thanks to Almighty God for all His blessings? How wonderful would it be if we reflected on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we decorate for Christmas? Shouldn't we always give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever? I mean, it's okay to go shopping, but don't let shopping come between you and your relationship with God. Besides, I have discovered that Black Friday equals Broke Saturday. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Thank you, James. Be sure and get today's special offer, the first Advent bundle. That's two books that highlight what Christmas is really about. The Nativity by James Collins and A Classic Christmas by Kenneth Hill. Get both books for a gift of $25 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online 
swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Monday, we bring more clarity to the chaos, and there'll be some inspiration for your first Advent celebration. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Have a wonderful weekend, and remember, God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. dot